from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Podcast episode 194, the Kessel Run G.I. Joe. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm John. And welcome back, everyone. Yeah, uh, with the Kessel Run, decided, you know what, maybe I'm doing so many of these that I should actually put which property I'm covering in each one, or we're covering in each one. So I thought it would be good to actually mention those properties at the end of the Kessel Run. Uh, it's been fun getting back to covering these comics and everything else. Uh, John, I know you and I definitely have to set a future date to uh, get back into Micronauts as well. So uh, we stalled out at uh, issue three there. So We did, and Dolan and Sepsis are still disappointed. <laughs> well, obviously with this episode, we are going to be covering G.I. Joe. Uh, and actually to help us with this episode is a listener of the show who reached out to me. He's appeared on our Facebook page and... Uh, all over the place. He's, you know, he's been listening to us for quite a while and he's like, he reached out to me and said, Hey, if, if you're ever doing another Kessel run, uh, I'd love to come on. Uh, and he says, I don't care what it is. <laughs> he, he even said that he would do a gem episode with me if I wanted to. <laughs> so. Oh, okay. So I, I'll, I'll go. I'll talk to you guys later. You guys have it. <laughs> So I'd like to welcome uh, Jake Witherspoon to the show. Jake, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, John. Um, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Uh, I was like, you know what? If someone is that dedicated to uh, enjoying the show and wanting to come on, uh, I got to have the guy on. And, and no, I will not just put you through a, a gem episode, but uh, I'm glad you could be here for a Joe episode because I know it's it's one of your all-time favorites, correct? Absolutely. I, I grew up with it just like y'all did. G.I. Joe is my primary collection focus, and the comic book is what really sold it for me. So I was glad to be a part of, you know, discussing something that 
has been around for so long, but it's still great to read. Nice. Awesome. So um, just to kind of get the listeners a little familiar with you as far as maybe your your uh, background with when it comes to Joe and when it comes to the show and everything else, like when did you start into G.I. Joe and everything else? Um, would have been Christmas of 1982 is when I got my first G.I. Joes. And, you know, I got them for Christmas. I got the Vamp with Clutch, and those are my first vehicle. Um, the first comic I read was G.I. Joe, American Hero number nine. Okay. And, you know, it just, from then on, I was hooked. Okay. So, and, um, you know, much to my wife's chagrin, I've got boxes of G.I. Joe stuff <laughs> back all around me here in my office. Nice. I uh, I saw a meme recently uh, that's made its way around Facebook. That's it was uh, it's the the uh, picture of the guy in front of a computer and the wife standing in the doorway behind him, and it says uh, it's the wife's thoughts that said he just bought some uh, some toys. Why is he looking at more toys? <laughs> yeah, that that that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so now with the show, how long have you been listening for? Um, I didn't start with the first first few episodes, but when I went back and listened to them later, mm-hmm. so I've listened to every episode um, up to current. I, I think I started somewhere around fifty. Okay, and then I went back and listed listened to the the fifty fifty one or so because y'all had a couple of you know, pilots and specials yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Well, I will say there was very few people that I think listened to us since episode one. So I totally understand that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been here long enough to like, you know, know who Chuck was and to hear, <laughs> you know, to, to have grown to like Chuck's inter- part of the interview. And yes. I really want, you know, when he had his, uh, uh, day with the, the Spitz, yeah, the Schwitz, yeah. Yeah, oh my and uh, I'd love to go to a place like that where you order your steak and pay at the end. That's not too bad. <laughs> you you know what, I'll arrange some time for you and Chuck to go, because that is not something I see myself doing anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, well, down, um, I, here, down here in, in Corpus, it is not something that would happen, because it's just too hot. Okay. You know, there's no steam rooms down here. Sure, <laughs> I get that. <laughs> Um, and speaking of Chuck, I do want to mention, uh, Chuck and I know I've been promising it for a while, but Chuck and I have been in talks, uh, about having him come back on. We've actually talked about doing it old classic style where he actually comes over to the house here and we sit with the microphone between us and, and have a conversation. Some things that we've talked about doing are, um, I think I mentioned before the devil's do GI Joe, uh, run, uh, cover that a little bit together and then him and I have also talked about talking about uh, action movie sequels uh, because him and I have very different opinions when it comes to uh, the sequels of certain action movies that are out there. Some of them I feel are better uh, and some of them he thinks are better. And I think some of the ones that he thinks are better, I think he's completely crazy. So uh, I figured that can make for a very, very entertaining episode for everyone out there. So. <laughs> Um, 
So, uh, John, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Baltimore Con now. We did when we were out in in Baltimore, we did record episode 200. I figured it's safe for us to talk about Baltimore Con because in that episode 200, we don't really we really talk about Star Joe's as as a, you know we talk a little bit about Baltimore and the fun we're having and everything else, but we didn't really like do a synopsis of the day or you know anything like that. So I figure you know what, even though that episode's gonna be coming later, uh, we can do a recap now and kind of talk about what our experience was at Baltimore, how things uh, went, and who we saw, you know, all that type of stuff. So this way, people don't have to wait too long before hearing how Baltimore was. So. So, John, what, what was your experience like with Baltimore this year? It was another fantastic show. Uh, we were a little smaller, but certainly mighty in terms of our crowd. Uh, you, uh, I was rooming with Andre this go-round, which worked really, really well for us. And uh, we had a we had a great time. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it Baltimore is Baltimore and, and get to see everybody. And so, well, you know, I'm trying to think it wasn't it's nothing earth shattering. Uh, you know, I know you got to meet DMC and that yeah. was, uh, that was cool. Um, yeah. we met, we met a, a new artist that, uh, uh, by the name of Carl Slominski that he ended up doing eight or nine sketches for us over the weekend for, he, you know, he was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Super talented and, Super cool style and yeah, and Dean Cotts knocked it out of the park as always. And um, I, I, I got a sketch from a uh, from a guy uh, named um, Nate. Uh, I can't think of Nate's last name, and I'm sorry, I'll probably think of it later. But uh, he actually drew a Star Wars or a GI Joe fire fire bo- uh, safety co- uh, coloring book for the city of Chicago years ago oh, wow. and um yeah so uh, god peace from him and then Shearer did this absolutely hysterical snake armor piece uh where one lonely cobra trooper is putting all the danger stickers on all the armors and it's absolutely brilliant and funny and what i would expect from brian so uh spent you know obviously we got to spend time with with brian and, and shannon I hung out a lot with Greg Schiegel, uh, former uh, guest, a uh, couple times, I guess, now the show. And mm-hmm. that was fantastic. I hadn't seen him in a while. So I got to hang out with him quite a bit. You know, your crowd, I, I told him when I saw him, you know, I'm still amazed that Chuck was actually there. And it was yeah. great to see him because it had been way, way too long. But, you know, you, Chuck, Travis, who had a little bit of a health issue the last day, hopefully he's better and, on to better things and Travis and Rock and uh you know Keith Knudsen and Daryl and Chris Campbell and yeah I mean you know uh it was it was great and and we had a good time recording that night of meeting Sam and his wife that was yep. cool and uh yeah I picked up some new funny books from the the po- you know from the bed pile which is great and uh, I got uh I got the that DVD from Travis of the restored 35 millimeter print of Star Wars Episode Four. Uh, yeah, which I still okay. plot. I'm super excited about doing that. And uh, yeah, man, it was it was great. The the it was it seemed 
I, I heard there were more people. It certainly didn't feel super crazy busy, no. but uh, but it was a great crowd and um, yeah, I mean it was Baltimore is Baltimore, and I think it was actually the the lowest number of people I had panhandle. Uh, <laughs> which yeah. you know, uh, it, it's it, 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 yeah. And oh, and there was a fire that was yes. exciting. We we had our second fire alarm. That was Sunday morning before the show opened. Yeah. So that was kind of crazy that they they got us out. I guess there was a grease fire in the snack bar area, and yeah. so at least this time it was a legit fire. But they got it taken care of, and to their credit, as they did before, Baltimore staff got. Everybody out, fire trucks in, everybody back in in probably, what, 20 minutes, 25 minutes? Yeah, they did rather a good job. Rather orderly, rather civil. You know, they, 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 they know what they're doing. They put on a great show. It was fun. Uh, we, uh, Andre and I left about the same time that you guys did on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, man, it was, it was great. It, as always, it was a fantastic weekend and just, uh, Get ready for next year. Yeah, um, yeah. I had a blast. Um, uh, you know, obviously saw the same people you saw. Uh, got some amazing commissions. Uh, yeah, uh, Carl, who I am now connected with on Facebook, so I get to see his his artwork all the time now. He did an amazing bebop and rocksteady uh, for me in my sketchbook. Uh, I posted that on our Facebook page, uh, but he. So the story with him, which was fantastic, John, uh, John, were you the one that came across his art or was it Grub or who came across it? Was, it, was, it was me. Okay. Um, you, I mean, obviously you've always been great at finding these artists that uh, do amazing work and uh, they're a little lesser known at the time. So it's like, okay, let's get them while they're, you know, while they're starting off. Uh, and because yeah, his artwork is incredible and he's probably listening to the show. I will actually say because I gave him the card and he's like, I can tell you at least for a fact, you're going to have at least one new listener. Um, so, but he was, um, him and I, I believe it was his wife, uh, super nice people. Um, they, he was so appreciative of the work that we brought, uh, to him because once people saw the sketches we had done, uh, he had done for us, like they were like, Oh, I gotta go get one now. And, uh, I was told by his wife that, he was so excited to do, to work on the bebop and rocksteady for me on, I believe it was, uh, Sunday morning, I think is it was, was when he was going to work on it, that she had to go get breakfast. He wanted to get right to working on it. So I thought that was awesome. Uh, I love it when an artist is that excited to, to work on something. Um, got a piece from him. I did get a piece from, uh, Greg Shegel and he, he was funny about it because he, He's like, don't feel like you're obligated to get one from me, <laughs> but, uh, I wanted one. And, and, uh, so he actually did Panthro for me in my 80s sketchbook, uh, which also came out amazing. And, uh, then I went to another creator who did, um, his last name is King, but I can't remember what his first name is. So I apologize, uh, if, if he's listening, but uh, he did two pieces for me because he was he was so quick at getting them done. Um, and Carl, I want to get him to do a piece in my Star Wars book for me. So, uh, hopefully, I'll see him next year. Um, but uh, this guy King, he did one where um, it was 
Uh, he did Hoth Leia, which is my favorite version of Leia. It made me a little nervous. Now, his prices were really low, so I was like, okay, I'm willing to take a chance, and it looks like his artwork's really great, but it made me a little nervous when his response was, I said, I'd like you to do Leia. And he goes, oh, Slave Leia? And I was like, no, I actually really like Hoth Leia. And he goes, Hoth. He goes, that's the snow planet, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> But he did his homework, and it, the piece came out amazing. So I was like, you know what, I'd love you to do another one for me. So I gave him my 80s sketchbook, and I gave him the list of characters that I had. And uh, he picked uh, Dirk the Daring from Dragon's Lair. And he not only did Dirk, but he also put uh, Princess Daphne in there with him. And that piece came out incredible as well. Um, so it was a really good year for commissions for me. Um, Brian Shearer. Uh, who actually has my book right now. Uh, I know he's supposed to send it to me. Uh, he did Bosk for me uh, in my Star Wars book. And uh, and then Shannon is uh, doing a very special piece for me. Uh, I wanted to mention it because I know we've talked about him on the show before. Uh, when Jeremy Dale passed away, I was a huge fan of Skyward, and I had a blank sketch uh, cover for Skyward. Um and I was thinking about artists that could do something for me. And at one point I was thinking about reaching, I had reached out to Chrissy Zulo and she was just very busy, couldn't really do it. Uh, but I thought her style would work really well. <clears throat> and then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I would love it if Shannon did the piece on the front of it. Um, and it just cause him and Jeremy were so close and it would mean something to him to do that piece. And in turn, and then it would mean something to me. So, uh, so he has that sketch cover. I told him no rush. He didn't have to do it at the show. Um, just whenever he would be able to do it, uh, that would be awesome. So he has that right now. Uh, and I am so looking forward to what he comes up with to put on there. Um, I gave him some direction of what I was looking for, but, uh, you know how Shannon is. He's, he, he goes above and beyond, uh, many times, uh, for, uh, from what you thought you were going to be getting. So, uh, so that was awesome. I got to meet Scotty Young, which was my crucial person I needed to meet. Uh, so that was really cool. He was super nice. He did have a big line, but they organized it amazingly well. I got to give credit to the people at uh, Baltimore Con. Uh, they basically saw that we were all in the line, that he wasn't going to be there till the afternoon. So they came around and actually gave us tickets. So this way we could we could go enjoy the rest of the convention and they were they started making announcements when certain numbers could get come back and get into line to get stuff signed by Scotty Young. I thought that was a brilliant way to handle it. I hope they do that with other big creators because it was awesome because I could go away, enjoy the convention, and then just listen on the loudspeaker for me to be able to come back. Um, uh, I, you know, got to I got a couple really cool pieces also uh, as far as. Um, uh, a couple books that I was, didn't know even existed. And then, uh, a couple animation cells. Uh, I was looking for some original art. I was hoping to maybe buy a Scotty Young piece. I had money to buy a Scotty Young piece. I knew what they go for. Um, but he wasn't selling any there at the show. And when I went to go look at the original art, I found some stuff I liked, but nothing that really spoke to me that made me go, okay, I really got to get this piece. Um, I am very much getting into original pages and stuff like that now, uh, more so than I ever have been. But what I did find was I, uh, Travis actually found, uh, some animation, an animation cell booth. And I actually found a few pieces. One's a Peter Pan animation cell. 
Uh, and I grew up, my mom used to read me Peter Pan when I was a little boy and she would read it every night. So it has a special place for me. And then, uh, found a, uh, animation cell from the Ewoks cartoon from the eighties, which was awesome. So, and it has wicket in it and everything. So that was really cool. Um, so that was really, it was some cool pieces to find there. And then, um, the books that I found were actually uh, Telos-related books. So I've talked about Skyward before. Uh, Jeremy Dale was inspired by Mike Waringo, who worked on Telos, uh, and that's where he got some of his inspiration for Skyward and everything else. Uh, Mike Waringo, sadly, had also passed away, um, but the the writer on it was there, uh, and I don't want to butcher his name. Uh, his first name was Todd. Uh, he, he was there. There you go. Thank you. And, uh, he had a volume two that was like this continuation of the Telos story. And he told me where I could get volume one. So I raced and got volume one, bought volume two as well. And, uh, it continues the Telos story through other, uh, he still, Todd still wrote it, but, uh, other artists continued the story for him. Uh, they are awesome hardcover collections. They go really well with my Telos hardcovers that I have. Uh, so that was an exciting surprise find that I did not expect to find when I went there, which is one of the great things with conventions is you go to a convention and sometimes you find something you weren't expecting to, to find. So, um, loved hanging out with everyone. It was absolute blast. That's what makes the show special every year. You know, we did our typical, uh, dinners and we did, uh, our typical lunch at Hooters on Saturday. Uh, and it was just an absolute blast. I'm like you said, John, looking forward to, uh, looking forward to next year very, very much. So, so with that, I also wanted to mention, I know we wanted to talk about, uh, Shannon has a new project out and we can finally talk about it. <laughs> and I think GI Joe fans are going to still be very excited because I'm sure people have noticed that Shannon is not the current artist on GI Joe right now. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's left the property. Uh, John, why don't you tell people what Shannon is working on and how excited he is about it? Well, I, I have to say I, I've been excited for him. The, the, they, they had made this change several months ago and I think Shannon worked through was like issue 44, I believe on real American hero um, and I thought originally they were going to announce something at San Diego and that didn't happen and it got pushed. And then in Baltimore, it's like, Hey, what's going on? Well, I can't really say yet. Well, they finally announced it in New York that, um, Shannon, uh, has it, moving on from real American hero is going to be working on the $6 million man meets GI Joe, which is a, uh, a crossover between dynamite comics and IDW. And, uh, not only is Shannon doing the pencils, he's taken Brian Shearer with him to do his inks. I'm super excited for Shannon. He loves the $6 million man and Steve Austin. In fact, last year, this was last year, he did a convention, a memorabilia convention in Maryland where he got to meet, uh, uh, I can't think of the names, Lee Majors and, um, Richard Anderson, who was Oscar Gordon and, uh, uh, who played Jamie Summers. I can't, uh, I can see her face. Can't think of her name. He was the bionic woman, yeah. uh, Lindsay Wagg. So he got Lindsay to meet Wagner, the three yeah. of them. So he got to meet the three of them and was just an absolute heaven. 
And so, you know, this uh, there's an interview. We should find it and link to it. I know. I think we. I think you may have posted it, Ryan, on the Stardust page. But uh, there was an interview with one of the Washington newspapers. One of the local guys there interviewed Shannon, and they talked about uh, talked about this move. And um, yeah, it's going to be basically. I think as he frames it, it's set like in the late 70s, moving right into real American hero era. So you're going to see, you know, late seventies, early eighties version of Lee majors. And then with Joe and, uh, I think it's a, is it a four issue series? And they'll kind of go from there according to where things go. Yeah. Um, uh, he's got a, you know, he's got a lot of things going besides that. One of the things they talked about, and, and I, I really hope that people will pick up on it and, and, and help, uh, Maybe maybe help the movement, but uh, Shannon is a big fan of Butch Guys. Anybody that's listened to the show for a while knows that. And, and Butch and Bill Mantlo back in the eighties created a series called Sword of the Swashbucklers. And, well, Dynamite has the rights to it now and did a Kickstarter to republish the old. It was it was published by the old Epic uh, byline at Marvel, and so they have it now. And the, they they got over, they they hit all their marks. In fact, we're funded so much that hey, we're going to produce new issues of Sword of the Swashbucklers. And so they have a they have a writer, and I, it's a it's written movies. And I can't I'm sorry I can't think of the name off the top of my head. It's in that article that uh, that we mentioned a minute ago. But uh, Shannon is really interested in drawing that book, and Butch is really supporting that move. Because I think he'd be perfect for it, and yeah. just like he's perfect for a lot of things, especially those he's very passionate about. If you follow Shannon's blog, he has posted a lot of sort of the swashbucklers art and daily warmups and things. So I'm hoping that Dynamite will hear that, and that the the writer will pick up on that, and that Butch, you know, being one of the co-creators, uh, you know, maybe that'll all equal an opportunity for him to work on that book too, because I know it's something he would really like to do and it's out there and it's not a secret. Again, he's, he, he has made it very vocal that, Hey, I would love to do this. So, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting for him. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited for him. He's excited for him. He's super busy now. I don't know when, I don't know when he's going to come up for air because he's working on some other things, you know, all at the same time. But yeah, I think the uh, the first issue of the Bionic Man crossover comes out in January, I believe. Uh, is that have you seen it yet in previews, or is that I I have not seen it in previews yet. Uh, the January one doesn't come out till uh, the beginning of November, so okay. Um, so should be seeing that probably in the next couple of weeks. I, it's either January or February, but uh, hey, as somebody who has kind of put my you know final say about Joe out there. I will say, you know, maybe I'll recant a little bit and and at least say that I will be checking this out because I'm a big fan of the Bionic Man and uh, I'm a big fan of Shannon's obviously and Brian's and uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to see kind of what he does because as he said, he's got two very different uh, fan bases to uh, <laughs> to address. <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, how they play. I think it's a very in- interesting choice uh, because, again, where how do you t- with, you know, one kind of coming out of the 70s and one coming in, you know, in the early 80s, 
but I, I, you know, I think it's a a great potential, and it'll be real. It'll be real fun to see what happens with it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jake, what uh, what do you think about the the crossover? I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Bigfoot versus Roadblock. <laughs> that was awesome. I think. Unfortunately, I don't think they have the rights to Bigfoot. So oh, don't, that's uh, too That's all right. Don't hold me to it. Uh, might out later, but I, that's the one thing they have been told they can't do much with. So, well, with, in addition to that, GI Joe has, you know, what? How much stuff did GI Joe's kind of pilfer off the six million dollar man with the, uh, you know, Professor Power and. All that oh, stuff yeah. in the the late the late seventies, where we had our own bionic GI Joe figure. Oh, Super Joe, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and so right. man, if that could be somehow even just in a background dropped in, that would be really really cool. Yeah. You know, so I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, and Shannon's art would be perfect for it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, you you guys know I will be uh, promoting the hell out of it, especially once I'm seeing it in previews and everything else. And uh, I every week I post uh, what titles are coming out in the comic shops that people want to be paying attention to. Obviously, that will be a a huge you know uh, once it actually is going to be in the stores. You know, I'll be promoting the hell out of that. Uh, I can guarantee that I will be doing a uh, video review of the first issue when it comes out. Uh, so, you know, I I love supporting Shannon because his artwork is is so good. Uh, it's not just because he's a good guy, but also you know he he, he he's good at his craft. So, um, so look, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I can't I can't wait for it. So, and hopefully it'll be uh, a version of. Joe that uh that Joe fans will actually really like again. So <laughs> uh, yeah. I recently did a uh the last episode I did was the divided front uh issue and the thing I really found out and I mentioned it many times in that episode, the thing I really found out reading that was man, I mi- I kind of missed GI Joe a bit because <laughs> Because I'm not getting G.I. Joe the way I want it right now. <laughs> um, and I will say yes. that I'm I'm still reading A Real American Hero uh, with Larry Hama. Uh, I got way behind on it, and I think it's because I was finding it just kind of okay. Um, it wasn't that it was bad. It was just, like, obviously the art was great. Shannon's art's always great. But the story was just kind of, like, losing me a bit, and I got way behind on it. And I think it was actually good that I got behind on it because then I went back and started reading it in chunks. And I don't know if it was a combination of missing it, like not reading it for a while, that made me go, you know, I'm actually really enjoying this. Or if it was just all the mess that has been happening with the IDW continuity that made me go, you know what, this is way better than what the other stuff is. Um, But I am really enjoying it. I'm getting caught up on those issues. So, um but I am really looking forward to kind of seeing this uh, another take on Joe and throwing in the Bionic Man. I think will be a lot of fun, kind of seeing how how do you intermingle these two properties together. I think it can it definitely can work. It's definitely something that's going to be a fun adventure. Um, but it'll it'll be interesting to see another creator's another writer's take on GI Joe. So. All right, well, speaking of G.I. Joe, uh, we are here today to uh, 
go through issue number 15. Uh, before we do that, I do have an email from Mr. Jason Adams, a longtime listener and often emailer, uh, and I love reading his emails. Uh, the unofficial 15th chair of the show, right? <laughs> right. He's the 15th chair, yes. <laughs> um, so here's his email, and I think it's very appropriate that I read it for this episode. So he goes, greetings, star bitches. It is now October, and we are on the cusp of the holiday season. Halloween and pumpkin spice are right around the corner. I haven't written in a while, but I recently came across a mathematical word problem that I could not figure out. Because of the combined IQ of the typical Star Joe's panel, I thought ah. I'd enlist your help. <laughs> so he says, without further ado, now listen very carefully. Three years ago, Ryan told Jason he could co-host the show when G.I. Joe number 34 is reviewed. If one of Jason's kids is 10 and the other is 11, how old will Jason's grandchildren be when the episode is recorded? <laughs> <laughs> guys, I really appreciate your help with this. I'm awful at mathing. And I love you guys hard, Jason Adams. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. What are we talking about tonight? Issue 15, right? Issue 15. So we so got we're another... 15, so you got 19 issues to go. 19 issues we, to go. We, we averaged, what, maybe three issues a year? Right. <laughs> so that's 19 times three. <laughs> 38, what is that, 57? So 57 <laughs> months, that's six years. Well, unless it, well, may, unless it's, yeah, like, well, maybe not grandchildren, Jason, but, uh, I think your kids will be in college. Heading <laughs> that way. Yeah. Um, I will say that we're obviously, because I didn't want it to go too long, we are obviously, uh, going through the Joe issues way faster than we were previously because it was almost two years the last time we had covered something. So, uh, so yeah, it's just been a few months this time. So, uh, and we have covered other comic issues in between. So it, it, uh, we're, I, I kind of view a lot of this stuff as us getting back to our roots, uh, of like, this is what we did in the early days of the show was covering comics. And I love covering this classic stuff and, um, it's tough covering the new stuff like we've talked about many times. So let's go back to covering some of the classic stuff. So, um, so, uh, issue num let's get into issue 15. Uh, as usual, I will go th through kind of the synopsis of what's going on page by page. Uh, Jake and John, feel free to jump in whenever you feel, uh, you'd like to. I will pause at various points if you, uh, so you can jump in wherever you'd like, but feel free to cut me off at any time as well. Um, now for, for me, uh, and I've mentioned this many times on the show, uh, G.I. Joe I read very sporadically when I was younger. So there's a lot of issues that I didn't read when they came out. Uh, I'd get a Joe issue here and there, and that was it. And I've never read through the entire Marvel run like a lot of our listeners have, and I'm sure like you guys, I know you you guys have. So um, did... Uh, we'll start with our guest, Jake. Uh, did you read this issue when it first came out in in stores, or did you read it much later? Like, what was your first experience with this issue? Well, with this issue, I um, 
didn't read it until much later on. Um, I was buying comics off of the spinner racks um, in the grocery store where I got breakfast most mornings. You know, as my mother was hauling me to school, I would pick it up. But there was no rhyme or reason, it seemed, to, uh, you know, a little kid when these issues came out. Just every time I saw a G.I. Joe book, I would buy it. And this is one of the ones that I missed. Okay. Um, but luckily, about 10 years later, my cousin decided he didn't want his comic books anymore and just gave them all to me. Oh, nice. And it was it was one of about 10 G.I. Joe issues that were in there. And now he had, like, I, miss, I went from nine to almost nine to 12 to maybe 16, you know, is how okay. I picked them up. And he sure. filled in the gaps. And so I was able to read a lot of that other stuff. Nice. And um, it just made so much more sense to me <laughs> at that point. But it didn't, you know, it didn't impact my love of the story. Sure. Like rereading this one now, I'm just like, how did I miss so much of this? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's just, I'm amazed at the depth of these books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John, how about for you? Uh, did you read this when this first came out or? So I started with issue 18 and then went okay. backwards. So it was not immediately, you know, you know, the, if this was what before. So it was not with the, not at the time of the, that it was on the stand. Probably within the year, six months to a year, I was reading it. Okay, okay. Um, well, as I said for me, this this was actually my first time reading this issue ever. So, um, and it's interesting. It was interesting for me because uh, I enjoyed the issue, uh, but there was some. I have some critiques with it, uh, only because, especially knowing how I feel about Larry's writing. Currently, uh, there's I know when I like his issues and I know when I don't like his issues. Um, and there were some elements in this story that took me out of it. But I know for Joe fans and longtime Joe fans, and I've talked with many of, of you guys out there, some of the things that take take me out of it is exactly why you guys loved it, uh, potentially when you were younger. And and for me, what that big thing is is that when is when Larry is writing to let you know that he knows all the technical terms and what you're supposed to do militaristically. Uh, like, okay, this, you have to fly a plane this way and you have to do this and do that and all this type of stuff. And that's when it takes me, uh, me personally out of the story because I don't, I don't care how you're flying the plane. I, I don't care how, you, I don't care that that's what type of gun that is or anything like that unless it's relevant to the story. Um, where, like I said, I know there's a lot of Joe fans, and, and Jake, you you're, you might be like this, where it was just like you loved learning all that type of stuff. And I'm sure I would have, too, when I was a kid. But right now I'm just like, can I just can we just move with the story? I don't need to read a ton of word bubbles about which gun was being used and what how you were flying the plane and stuff like that. See, I see it more like um, the, old, the Star Trek, the original series. They explained things at a higher level a lot of the science in the original series was spot on for what they knew mm -hmm. at the time and i when i read the read these books that's what it was like for me it gotcha. was like getting star trek jargon 
in the episode. Maybe you know, that's what lost me to it. So. You know, and, uh, <laughs> but I was raised on, you know, science fiction and military movies and yeah. westerns, and so yeah. there was always jargon in there. And where I can definitely see the the part where they're talking about how you know the he takes a page to talk about how the engine in this gets turned on, yeah. you know, and you're like, huh. <laughs> you know, but for me, I was, I'm perfectly fine with it. You know, it just, but I can yeah. see what you mean. Yeah. And, and as a kid, I will tell you, I went to the library and I used to get, they used to have these little hardbound military books where it had like all the different types of tanks and there was one for all the different types of, um, jets and one for all different types of weaponry and stuff like that. And I used to borrow those from the library constantly and pour over them. So I'm sure as a kid, I would have loved this. Um, for me now as an adult, it, it becomes two things for me. And I think some of it's because I, I'm connected with Larry on Facebook and I know how he posts some stuff. Like some of it for me is just like, okay, I want to move on with the story. And some of it for me is I, I just feel like it's Larry showing me that he knows this stuff. And it's like, I believe that you know this stuff. I don't need you to tell me it. <laughs> I a hundred percent believe you, Larry, you know, you know, your, your equipment. Um, but yeah, so that that's kind of what it is for me now. I'm just like, okay, let's let's move on with the story. But I, at least I totally get how, when, especially as a kid, like I would have been eating this stuff up. Like, oh man, I'm learning about this stuff. So that's that would have been really cool. So, um, all right, so let's go ahead and jump into the actual issue. Like I said, you guys can stop me at any time uh, as we go, we're going through the pages. Um, so this issue first came out in September of 1983. Uh, and it was written by Larry Hama. Uh, the pencils were Mike Vosberg. Uh, the inks were John, uh, D'Agostino. Uh, letterer was Rick Parker. The colorist was Andy, uh, Yankis. Yankis. Uh, editor was Denny O'Neill. And the general in chief was Jim Shooter. Um, so first I wanted to talk about the cover of this. Uh, and then I, and I just let, as always, I always like to say where I'm reading it and you guys can let me know where you're reading it from. I'm reading it from the complete collection from IDW. It's the hardcover collection. Um, are you guys, did you guys actually read this from the actual issues that you own? I did. Okay. Um, I actually, I probably have. 10 different versions of this issue scattered around. But the easiest for me was I somewhere collected a mass of electronic comics. Okay. And I read it. This was done by a guy named Darth Scanner. And, um, I read that. I read the, it's a, it's a, a CBR, um, electronic copy of that. He scanned, yeah. From the actual book. I might have the exact same uh, files that you have, because I do have that where it's uh, there was a bunch of uh, digital versions of it and everything else that uh, of just about everything that of Joe that was out at that time or something. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm not I'm a, I am very much I pay artists to produce mm-hmm. art. I pay writers to write. Um, I, I don't, I try not to buy music from music shops. I go and yep. see the band and buy the disc directly yep. from them, yep. you know? And so 
you know, I'm kind of like, I have these electronic copies, but I also own yeah. 15 other copies that I paid for in one way or another. I'm right there with you. For me, it was just a convenience of having it digitally, which is why I liked having it. It didn't mean that I didn't, like you said, it doesn't mean that I wasn't paying for, for the work that people were doing. It's just like, well, this was just a convenient way for me to get access some of this stuff sometimes. So, um, so I wanted to talk about the, the, the cover first. Um, so on the cover, the one of the things I really like that especially a lot of these early issues did was what you see on the cover actually happens in the issue. <laughs> That's right. So we have, it's, uh, Dr. Venom is, uh, and Quinn and Snake Eyes are in, uh, it's a scene of them inside uh, a plane and the, uh, Quinn is manning the pilot's chair, and then we have Dr. Venom is trying to stomp on Snake Eyes, who is hanging from some uh, some bay doors that have opened up below him, and uh, Dr. Venom's trying to stomp him down to the ground. Uh, I thought it was a really fun uh, issue or issue cover, and I thought it was cool for the simple fact that, again, if I it's one of those issues where if I see what's happening on the cover, I'm like, well, that looks like some cool action. I wonder if it actually happens in the issue. Like nowadays, I I doubt it, but back then, it it was a lot of times what you saw on the cover did actually happen in the issue. So I thought that was really cool. Did you guys have any thoughts with the the cover itself? I just am amazed at how technical the cover is. Yeah, all the little details. You know. Yeah. You know, we've I've, the 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 covers that we've seen with GI Joe up to this point. Some of them were really detailed, some, but most of them were real quick, kind of heavy action. But this one, just the inside of that plane, you can see the levers, the knobs, the dials, the radio. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of time spent on background detail yeah. for this cover. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. There's, uh, I mean, even looking at there's like a, uh, adjusting wheel there that has like little lines put into it. There's the, the chair has actually like cushion lines to it. Uh, it has little rivets, you know, in, in the bottom of the, the legs of the chair and everything else. Like it's, like you said, there's a lot of detail there. Um, the coloring is, is, is great as well. Uh, even the details of snake eyes hanging there and you see the clouds in the background and you see the ground below and it's just a little section of the ground, but there's like actual lines depicting different types of land down there uh so um so yeah the detail is very very impressive so all right well getting into the issue the title is uh red eye to miami and in this the first couple pages of this kind of give a little bit more depth to what we saw in the previous issue so the previous issue we saw you know there was this um the squad that uh, basically took was looking to take Snake Eyes and Dr. Venom hostage, and they were going to take them back to this airfield. And we kind of got that briefly in the, at the end of the previous issue. This one goes a lot more in depth, and they start talking about how uh, should they shoot them, should they not shoot them. Um, and they say, well, you know, the Baroness had said that, you know, uh, that you guys were killed, but you know now we're going to show her up. Uh, when you go to the next page, you know they talk about how they're going to 
actually have them walk to the airfield because they don't want to have to carry them. Uh, and they also don't know how to fly a plane. <laughs> uh, so they're not sure what they're going to do once they get to the airfield. And Dr. Venom says that, you know, he, that he can fly a plane basically bargaining for his life. Um, I felt like the, the first panel, it looked like a, <laughs> the, the head guy there, the drawing almost reminded me of a, like a, I don't know, like a young, Char- like a young, crazy Charles Bronson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, as Dr. Venom is negotiating for his life and they're talking about, uh, you know, uh, they're not sure if they can believe him and everything else. Uh, and they, they start mentioning, talking about Quinn, uh, who, and believing that Dr. Venom actually killed Quinn. Uh, Dr. Venom is in this plea for his life is saying that it was just an accident. Uh, and, and probably not the most PC thing to say this day and age, but he's like, Eskimos can't swim anyways. They never learn how <laughs> fall into the water in the Arctic circle and you die. Uh, while he's saying all this, we have Quinn slowly rising above the water there, uh, which I think was just a nice touch to see that slow rise as the dialogue is going on. Um, uh, you see him coming up, uh, and again, kind of what you were talking about earlier, Jake, the, the detail, you know, he has, he has just like the sights of the, of the gun coming up, uh, with him and everything else. And it's not that you just see it in the last panel, you see it just briefly in the panel before that as well. So, um, it's just nice attention to detail going on there. Um, Quinn jumps up blasts a bunch of the guys, takes them all out. Um, and with a huge rat, a tat, 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 uh, and snake eyes dunks Dr. Venom underneath. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure snake eyes was going to kill him. (laughs) Interesting. That seemed a little out of character, at least, you know, initially for him. Yeah. Snake eyes. I mean, you know, to basically he's killing him. I mean, I, I don't, I guess Venom tried to kill him, so he had to get him back. But yeah, well, and yeah, he was also in the brainwave scanner. I mean, Venom oh, yeah. tortured Snake Eyes. Yeah, you know, and so there's a whole, you know, with there's a whole lot between these two characters. Yeah. So I, while it is out of character for our, you know, at the time, but you know, in the as, as the good guys doing what, but oh, yeah. he's probably feeling it a little bit yeah very true and john i will say um even though i knew this going into this issue um my initial thought reading it and seeing snake eyes there and seeing it with commando snake eyes i was like man john must be just loving this look (laughs) well between that and quinn because quinn is the greatest yeah yeah, he pops out with that ma deuce and just starts laying waste it's the best (laughs) absolutely so uh Quinn basically forces Snake Eyes to uh, to let Doctor Venom up, uh, holds him at gunpoint to do so, uh, and points out that uh, he's going to be the one to fly us out. Uh, they get to the airfield where there had been some uh, a bit of a scuffle that happened there previously, which it does refer back to issue number thirteen. Um, <laughs> there's a, a bigger guy down by the airfield, uh, yelling up to Pablo, asking if he wants a sandwich. And, uh, Pablo decides to come down cause he wants to have a cigarette. And they, uh, Quinn points out that, uh, 
that Snake Eyes will take the smoker and uh, that he will handle Fatso. <laughs> so, um, and then, much like we would get, we'll get later in the silent issue, uh, we have four panels here that nothing needs to be said. You know, it's just it's the action going on. There doesn't have to be any sound effects. It shows the stealth of the moment of taking these guys out. So um, we have then uh, Dr. Venom is uh, telling Snake Eyes to man the turret, and he heads towards the cockpit to get the engine started. Uh, this is when he points out to Quinn, uh, you know, that he does actually know how to fly this plane, so he wasn't just bluffing. Quinn knows that he only has the capabilities of really knowing where the oil pressure is, if the oil pressure is low or the manifolds are getting too hot. Uh, he's looking through the, the flight manual there, and uh, Dr. Venom says, oh, good, you've no, you found that. You know, you can read through that when I, when I need a spell. Uh and they start up, uh, Dr. Venom starts up the engines to, to take off. And this, of course, alerts people up in the towers. And they start firing away at them. Uh, again, I, I, again, you know, talking about the detail here, I think it was some nice detail. You get, it's this aerial shot. I think it's a unique or interesting viewpoint too. Um, and I noticed that's happened a lot throughout this issue is that there's a lot of, um, Unique, I don't want to say camera angles or camera positions, uh, that you would do, uh, that might not be the typical type of thing. I don't know if, is this typical for, for Vosberg to kind of do some of these, you know, unique angles and everything else? I don't know I his art so. well enough. Yeah. Uh, I, so in terms of the, yeah, some of the panel cuts and things, uh, you know, if you, I'm trying to remember. I can't. I, I can't think off the top of my head. You know, Vosper did several issues, and they're all consistent like that. And I, again, you know, I, one of the selling points for me with these older issues, you know, I know Ryan, you were talking about kind of the talking too much or you know too much exposition on material, but mm-hmm. but a, a lot of times I think some of these in, some of these panel cuts and, and designs does so much to push that story. Like we talked about the last issue. Yeah, yeah, there's really cool stuff going on with it. Yeah, for well, sure. The thin panels show so much time, you know, how yeah. fast all of this is going. You know, it just that you get these big, long pictures that are squished together, and you yeah. just get this feeling of how quickly this is all happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it, it does that, but then it also kind of, illustrates, you know, with them being long and thin like that, it kind of helps demonstrate the airfield as well, because obviously airfields are really, you know, these long landing strips and everything else. So it's it's almost like two things are going on there. You, you know, you're showing the length of the airstrip, but you're also showing the quick su- succession of the action that's happening. So um, so they they spin around because they're, they're going to be taking off, and uh, this also allows uh, Snake Eyes to shoot the... Spitfire planes, uh, so this way they can't be chased after. Uh, they shoot up at the tower, so this way they won't have to deal with any more gunfire. Uh, and they radio ahead for a blockade. Uh, the guys up in the tower radio for a blockade to get to the end of the airstrip, uh, which that was one thing I found kind of amusing. I'm like, 
and I've seen it in movies too. They're always like, send the, send the blockade to the end of the airstrip. I'm like, why wouldn't you send it to like the middle of the airstrip? <laughs> it might, that might actually stop the plane. <laughs> I know it's logic. It doesn't have a place in the story, but, <laughs> um, so, you know, the plane is being chased down by a couple of jeeps firing at them. Uh, Snake Eyes takes out uh, one of them, which knocks the other one to the, off to the side. Uh, Dr. Venom is able to get the, the engine going so that they can actually take off. Uh, so this way he has all four engines. But as he's taking off, he knocks out the, the landing gear by hitting some of the, the blockade there. Uh, the guys go, you know, running, fleeing the scene, but they do stop to turn around and shoot up at them. Uh, and... The guys are, you know, seems like they have clear sailing. Um, Dr. Venom uh, decides to go and look over the flight manual, but what he's really doing is he's actually sending Morse code uh, out. And I found it very amusing because he was he basically said, well, what am I going to do, send out a Morse code message? And that's exactly what he's doing when he says that. So um, it's kind of like the the whole, like, uh, how do you, sometimes the best thing to do is to hide in plain sight. Uh, he basically says, I'm, come on, I'm not going to send a Morse code message. And that's exactly what he's doing. So, um, there wasn't another, uh, Spitfire plane, uh, in the hangar and they were able to send that up after him and it's able to catch up with them because it's a lot quicker of a, of a plane. And we have a little bit of a aerial battle that happens. And uh, Snake Eyes is trying to shoot at the plane, but it's just too quick. Uh, it, it can maneuver too easily around them. Uh, the the pilot looks completely crazy. <laughs> he, he, he just looks like he's eager to kill, um, which I guess is great for the enemy pilot. Um, Dr. Venom decides that they uh, might have a chance if they can actually... Uh, dive because he, he points out that they wouldn't be able to out, uh, fly, outmaneuver him and they wouldn't be able to, uh, go higher than him, but maybe they can do a power dive. And in the middle of the power dive, he also, he turns on his running lights, which, uh, cause they first get out of, I thought this was a very cool strategic move, um, which I really liked in this issue, which was he did a power dive to get out of the moonlight. So this way they were in the dark. And that gave, and gave a few seconds for the other pilot's eyes to adjust to the dark. And then he turned on his running lights, which then blinded, uh, the other pilot. And then Dr. Venom and Quinn pulled back on the, the, uh, the stick. So this way they could actually pull out of the dive where the other pilot could not because he couldn't see with the ground. What do you guys think about the, the strategy when it came to that? Do you think that would actually be, would actually work or? Would running? Do you know if running lights would actually not be bright enough? I this is where we need Adams. I'm sorry. This is Go where ahead. we need Jake Adams, the pilot. He knows. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have my doubts about the brightness of the running lights, <laughs> but given the situation, and you know, we've already read all this technical stuff earlier in the issue. Right. I, I'm willing. I'm willing to suspend a little bit of dis- in that he knows what's going on. Yeah, I would suspend a little bit of disbelief there to to be like, okay, maybe maybe he knows something I don't know. Um, 
So, and I love the line, uh, and we see it in the future as well. Uh, Quinn saying that, uh, you are a good pilot, Venom. Too bad the weasel spirit lives in your belly like a cancer. <laughs> so we do hear about the weasel spirit later as well. Um, we then go to Cobra headquarters where the Baroness and Destro are reporting back to Cobra commander. Uh, and they point out that Dr. Venom is still alive. Uh, he's willing to, uh, that they had received his transmit mission. He's willing to, f- uh, forget any previous indiscretions and will arrange, uh, for a car and a lawyer to meet him in Miami. Uh, and, uh, we get the mention, uh, of Scarface in here, who I know be- is a consistent Cobra character that will pop up here and there. Um, we also get, uh, at the very bottom of the page, the the plane is arriving over the Gulf of Mexico, uh, and this is where Dr. Venom starts his plot that we actually see on the cover of the issue. Uh, he points out that he thinks... Yes. Right. right. I got to stop you right here for a minute. Yes. Because I'm, yes. you know, looking at, and this is, you know, as the as the guy reading it out of the actual whole book. So, but right before Dr. Venom starts this devious plot, it's a two-page ad for Mile High Comics. Oh wow! Oh, that's perspective. Cool. Yeah. So here's here's an example. This is in 1980, September 83, right? Yeah. How about Spider-Man 129, buck 75. Wow. How about Iron Man number one, 40 bucks? And Ryan, your favorite? Uh, I think Giant Size X-Men, right? Yeah. 60 bucks. Oh jeez. Oh. Star Wars number one. Star Wars number one, six dollars. Oh wow! Yeah. It, uh, X Men is like X Men number twenty eight is four dollars. This stuff is, I mean, it's it's fun but disheartening, you know, to yeah. to go back and look at it. Uh, yeah, it's it's really pretty crazy, but uh, yeah, Avengers. How about Avengers number thirty, four bucks? Wow. Avengers fifty seven, ten bucks. I mean. I just, it, it just slays me to look at this stuff and yeah. Well, can we go back in time and just get that stuff now? <laughs> it, it would be nice. Oh, I do think well, it's funny yeah. though that the, the ad, the whole thing does not, it doesn't have uh, GI Joe listed in it. Yeah. But here, oh, hey, Hulk 180 uh, or 181, $11 and 50, it's like $11.50. Oh. <laughs> First appearance of Wolverine. So what, yeah. Did it say that the people had to call? To go in to mail them. What did you have to do? To get this? Uh, this was a mail order. You could call. You could uh, you could order the catalog. This list expired December first of eighty three. So the prices were good for like two months. And yeah, you know. So anyway, uh, share because it's kind of bananas. Yeah. Uh, you know what uh, some of the yeah you know memories right. Right. So, well, and not only that, but like I also think about back then, and I've said this many times. Back then, you know, it's obviously pre-internet and all that type of stuff. Like a lot of shops didn't really know how much of that stuff was out there. You know, they didn't know how rare some things were versus other things. You know, they knew some issues were important issues, um, but they didn't know really. Okay, well, how many of these issues are really out there? Other than like the the really big ones, like Action Comics number one and things like that. So, yeah, they were, you know, they priced things the way they thought they should be priced. And then, boom, the Internet happens. And 
and now you know how much is out there, you know what things are worth, and you know there's people out there that want to buy it, so it's the whole supply and demand and all that, you know, starts skyrocketing prices, plus the 90s boom when people were, like, way into comics and everything else, start causing some of these older issues, prices to go up, and then you throw in all the movie stuff that's happening now, and that causes prices to go up, so... um yeah, man, I would love nothing more than to spend sixty bucks and get a giant size X Men number one. <laughs> well, if, if it makes you feel any better, the entire run of Shogun Warriors, the entire run of Team America, and the entire run of US One were all seventy five cents a piece. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, I just had to share it because that stuff just slays me every time I see it. Oh yeah. No, for sure. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, uh, you will not find those types of deals at any convention, by the way. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sad to say. Um, so back into the, the story here. Uh, we have a, what is a 15 panel layout of action and kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, Jake, it, it just kind of shows how quickly things were happening in the, in this. Um, you know, Doctor Venom says that you know, you know, are you back where the the uh, Bombay doors are? And uh, I don't know how he knew, but he he I guess was able to guess that he's there. And he's like, good. He clicks it. Snake Eyes goes to fall. Uh, he barely grabs on uh, to a rope that was there. Quinn reaches down to uh, to help him out uh, and. Dr. Venom's like, help him, Quinn. I doubt it. And he pulls back on the stick, causes Quinn to start to fall. Quinn grabs a hold of uh, the ledge there. He reaches down to grab Snake Eyes. The rope is breaking. All of a sudden, the rope, the, the rope snaps. Quinn can't grab him, but Snake Eyes grabs a hold of his foot. Like, a lot of very quick action and surprisingly, a lot of good detail in those little panels, too, uh, that really tell... This very quick, you have to figure all, all 15 of these panels probably happen within less than a minute. About 30 seconds, maybe. Yeah. 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 So, um, and there wasn't a lot of heavy writing with it because to your point, if it's going to happen in 30 seconds, well, then there can't be a lot of words that were spoken or a lot of, you know, it had to be pretty much all action going on there. So, um, so then we get, uh, Dr. Venom comes out, uh, and he starts beating on Quinn, who's trying to pull himself up. And, uh, Quinn says, you underestimate the power of the bear spirit. And he says, the bear is strong. The bear is angry. The bear hates the weasel. <laughs> he says, the bear wishes the weasel was dead. Um, and let's take it this- he's not talking about Polly Shore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't nice. think anyway. <laughs> uh, very nice. Uh, so, and in this case, now we have, uh, this whole issue seems to be one person or the other trying to stop the other person from killing Dr. Venom. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's think about it. There was the, the soldiers at the beginning, right. then the soldiers at the airfield, then the Cobra, you know, Cobra Commander, the Baroness, and Destro were discussing killing or not killing Venom. This right. whole issue, you know, this whole issue is people tried to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have uh, now we have Snake Eyes is stopping Quinn uh, from killing Doctor Venom. 
and and I really love that Quinn calls him Shadow Man. I don't know why. It's just kind of a cool nickname. Um, and then uh, we go back to Joe headquarters, and we have a, a debriefing or a briefing going on, I should say, uh, where Hawk is trying to find out uh, what's going on. He's like, have we gotten a final report on the analysis of the remnants that at the uh, Cobra Enclave in Vermont? And I really liked this this little segment here just because it just kind of shows that other stuff's going on while the main action was like, it, it's almost like a, just a brief interlude as to, Hey, there's others, other elements of this story that are going on right now. Um, we also get breaker with no beard, but blowing a bubble. Yes. <laughs> then we go to Cobra uh, headquarters and we have Cobra commander having major blood come in. Uh, some unique color choices on Major Blood there. He looks like a character from Tron or something. <laughs> He's all blue. Um, and, but you do get to see all the dog tags hanging around his neck. And I am not as familiar with Major Blood as Keith Knutson is. I don't know how familiar you guys are with him. Like, what is the significance of the dog tags for him? Those are all the people he's killed. Okay, yeah, that's what I figured. Okay, that's what I figured. Um, well, and then, you know, one of the things I noticed, too, is look at Major Blood's hand. Yeah. You know, there he's a fi- it's five, you know, five fingers, whereas yeah. the toy was three. Yeah. And, you know, that, that hand always keeps changing, and it lends <laughs> itself to that mystery that nobody could ever figure out. Is it armor, or is it yeah. that ro- a cybernetic arm? Yeah. You know, that was always the argument. Yep. So he, he basically wants to, uh, Cobra Commander wants to bring in Major Blood. Uh, he says, uh, I pay you to solve problems right now. I have a problem that only you can solve, and his name is Destro. So we know that Cobra Commander is not trusting of Destro. Uh, and then we see in the next page, the first three panels is Destro talking to the Baroness and, and kind of trying to get her on his side. And, uh, he says, uh, tells her that he loves her, which is not the smart move by any anybody you don't you don't say it first don't don't do that guys <laughs> because oh, come on don't, don't be that way it works if you've got the voice like destro does coming out it you know you can That's say true. it whenever you That's know true. however she she did not say it back and you know it's it's unrequited love that's going out there so um but uh, then we go back to the the Gulf waters, and uh, the, I don't. This whole scene this right here, awesome. it's awesome. But I'm also like, what? How like random was this? <laughs> like they come up on this boat, uh, and they're flying low, and Doctor Venom wants to take out the the fish, this boat, and. Uh, they let them know you can't take out some innocent fishermen. Well, here these fishermen are not so innocent because they actually have some contraband in their hold and they open up <laughs> this huge heavy artillery machine gun <laughs> to shoot at the plane. Um, and they hit the, uh, the fuel, uh, the fuel line and, uh, this causes a bunch of uh, gas to fall on top of them, and 
there's a little spark from their gun, which actually blows up their entire boat. <laughs> yeah. Real, real quick, you were talking yeah. about the, the the kind of randomness of this boat being out there with the machine gun. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, I'm from, I'm, I'm, I live in Texas right now. I live in Corpus Christi, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like three houses from the bay, from okay. the water, and during the 80s. You know, the, the whole escalation of the drug trade, man, okay. so many boats were coming across the Gulf. So okay. many trucks were crossing the border from Mexico, just bringing in any and everything they could. That for me, this was a perfectly normal thing yeah. that could happen. I mean, cause if you listen to the news, I lived in Houston, near Houston for a little while, um, towards the mid eighties. And every, you know, I, every report, some boat was caught with this much weed. Some boat was caught oh, no. with this much marijuana. And still today, um, you know, it's not uncommon. Oh, about 36 bales of marijuana washed up on the shore of the national seashore, you know, and, and so this is actually very me, much so, sign of the times and yeah. And, the area, yeah, and and, and that very well, on the drug trade, yeah, and that very well could be that you know maybe Larry back then read an article about something like that, and he's like, you know what, it's happening so much that let me put this because it, it's a brief moment in here, um, and it does impact the story. Obviously, it's not like it you know doesn't it's completely irrelevant, but yeah, to your point with you know with that knowledge, it's like it's it was probably put in here because of it happening so much that it's like, well, this could be what happens. So. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I think that, you know, because it's, it is random to come across a boat in the middle of the Gulf. But if you do, it's not best to go right up to them. (laughs) I I will keep that in mind. If I'm ever, (laughs) ever in that situation, (laughs) it's like, my, my wife will be like, oh, look, honey, a boat. Like, yeah, let's go this way. <laughs> um, so be, because of being their fuel line being hit, uh, Dr. Venom says we have to unload everything. So, you know, throw everything out. Um, he even tells them to start cutting away the panels of, of the plane itself and tossing those. So this way the metal won't be weighing them down. Uh, then we go to the Miami airport. And, uh, we see that the attorney, uh, from Cobra has arrived and he's getting into, uh, his chauffeured vehicle. Uh, then we go back to Miami Beach and I think we need, I think we need action figures made of, uh, Estelle. Is that her name? Is Sheldon and Estelle, I think it is. Yeah. I I looked these two up. They've got to be based on somebody, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're, I, I mean, I don't know if y'all knew, I mean, are they like a television couple from somewhere, or are they, you know, somebody, you know, they've got to be somebody famous. Well, it could Not be somebody's I, parents, it could have been bought for parents or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought, I didn't, I didn't, I did try finding out if they were, like, like you said, Jake, if they were anybody famous, and I didn't find anything, because they, obviously they are notorious for putting some famous people in, into these issues, um, that was done a lot of times with a lot of comics back then. 
But yeah, I have a feeling that this was somebody's parents and that it was, they could see their parents having this type of discussion. And, um, because I could totally see right in my parents like this, like, but I just love the whole discussion was just so comical and so entertaining for me. And maybe for, and like much like I was with the, the technical stuff, I could see other people reading this and going, do I really need to read these two people bickering and talking about ridiculous stuff? For me, it was very entertaining for somebody else. It might be a little bit tedious. <laughs> I, I've, you know, with meeting Larry, um, I've only met him once, you know, but I've heard him talk. He has such a wicked sense of humor that I bet he was just laughing his ass off writing this, you know, yes. as much as Larry does. Yes. Yeah. Um, but they get uh, Estelle and Sheldon are sitting on the beach in their lawn chairs. People are running because this plane is coming t- uh, towards the beach and they're just th- Estelle's finding out that, uh, that Sheldon actually, you know, flew in the war and, uh, she, evidently she didn't know this and, uh, he tells her about how it was, it was scary at times and, uh, they just having a whole conversation as this plane is barreling down on them. (laughs) Um, and Dr. Venom decides he needs to, to skip the plane across the water uh, in order to slow them down because they don't have any landing gear to give them a chance of living because uh, they definitely would not otherwise. Um, the plane crashes and all Estelle can <laughs> be concerned with is that there is now sand in her drink. Um, and she's complaining this to Sheldon and Sheldon says, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to call the call a cop? And as he's saying this, there is about 20 police cars surrounding this plane. Uh, there's a SWAT team van. Uh, there's, and there's just police officers all over the place, which is, I don't know about you guys. That is the quickest I've seen that many cops come to the site of a situation (laughs) that just happened. (laughs) So, uh, we go into the last page of, I'm sorry, quick before the last page. So yes, you guys remember like bulletin, bulletin, bulletins when they, you know, Stanley oh, yeah. and stuff. So this one is friggin' amazing because it's John Byrne and oh, and he's like, well, no, he says Jim Peter asked me to do a guest spot and and he, you know, I thought about it for two years and it hit me, you know, why don't I, why not talk about why I love it? Why don't I uh, draw about how much I love Marvel? And it is this absolutely stunning page of Alpha Flight, Fantastic Four, uh, gosh, X-Men, Avengers, and Spider-Man is coming down from the ceiling, and John Burns sitting at a drawing table, you know, in, in the center of the page, drawing a page, and all the characters are standing around him. This thing is gorgeous. It is an absolutely amazing piece wow. of art, and... Yeah, it is. It's really, 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 really cool. So that sounds awesome. I just I just googled it. It came right up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been. In- oh yeah, I did. I found it as well. So yeah, and then there's the- homages to it even. Yeah. yeah, that is awesome. So yeah, that was the, that was the other nice little non page non non. I think uh, I think I'll put that as the image for the episode so people can kind of see how cool that is. So, um, 
So going into the, the last page here, uh, we are inside the police headquarters. The attorney for Cobra uh, says shows that he has a document, uh, a writ of habeas corpus, so that they could release Dr. Venom into his custody. Now, the only thing I didn't know against from not reading the whole series, having read the whole series, I don't know if you guys would know this or not. Is this just a random attorney guy, or is this guy somebody like that? I just didn't recognize him. I think he's a random guy. Okay. I would agree. I have I in the issues up to now we haven't seen him, but yeah. doesn't he look a little bit like a Fred? Yeah, very much. You so. know, maybe he he's kind of a uh, an early prototype kind of situation. Yeah. I was almost expecting like at the, in the last panel to hear Dr. Venom either say a name like Fred or something like, like, you know, but, uh, there wasn't really anything there. So, but, uh, Dr. Venom gets, uh, released and he's giggling. I don't know why he's giggling because everyone wants to kill him. So (laughs) I wouldn't feel too good going into Cobra's hands. Um, but he says, uh, Toodaloo boys have fun in the license plate shop. And, uh, we see that Snake Eyes and Quinn are in, uh, put into a cell. Um, and then we have Dr. Venom driving off with, uh, to go to Cobra headquarters. And that's how the issue ends. That's a so, really large cigar. That, <laughs> that is. <laughs> Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. So, <laughs> um, so what do you guys think of of the issue? Uh, this time we'll start with with John. Like overall, what was your thoughts with this issue? Look, the, these these early books they can do no wrong. I love them. Quinn was the best. I, as a kid, I liked reading all the detail. I think to your point, Ryan, if you read it now, some of it's a bit silly. Like rereading it tonight, reading the whole diatribe between the old couple and talking about Dover Soul and that kind of stuff. It's all a little silly, but you know, the Dr. Venom's a, a really great villain. Quinn, like I said, Quinn is the best. You got Snake Eyes and you know, again, it's, it's a really solid, it's a really solid read. Yeah. And, and I will say with reading so much of these issues now, I am really, surprised that it took so long for a Quinn or Dr. Venom figure to be made. Oh, that was the, that was absolute fury, uh, you know, and frustration not to have those figures when I didn't see the cartoon until well after I'd read these issues. I'm like, these are GI Joe characters. Why aren't they putting them out in on the pegs? Yeah. I mean, it used to drive me nuts. I didn't realize until I saw the cartoon until, and until later on that these were characters created just for the stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, I do have a Quinn figure now, which I'm grateful for. I, ne- I have not obtained a Dr. Venom figure as of yet, but, uh, but yeah, I was just very surprised seeing how much they are in these books. And, and back then it didn't have to just be, uh, cartoon characters that got action figures. Uh, there was comic characters that got action figures. So I was very surprised that, that for as much as, as prevalent as those characters were in these early issues, 
that we never saw figures for them at any point until much, much uh, more recently. So, uh, Jake, what was your thoughts overall with this issue? Um, um, you know, as a kid, when I read it the first time, it just it answered so many questions because I'd read issues before it and issues after it, and it created that linkage for me. Mm-hmm. Um, re, you know, and so it just it was like, ah, now I understand the story that much more. And as an adult reading it, just like we're saying, seeing the extra detail, realizing the little things that I missed, and just how much energy and thought went into each um, issue, even though Larry was just writing as he went. Yeah. You know, and just to have, okay, here's a bit of foreshadowing, but he didn't really mean to do that. Yeah. You know, it, it's just kind of crazy that his, he kind of had this subconscious idea that something was going to happen later to match what he said right here. Yeah. And I don't know if Larry does this or not, but I know that there's a lot of writers that put stuff in their stories that they think they might come back to later. Uh, and then there's times when they get like writer's block. And, and I've talked with writers that said they do this intentionally because if they do run into writer's block, sometimes they'll go back to some of their previous stories and go, Oh, you know what? I never did anything with that. Let me tell that story now. Um, and I don't know if Larry does that or not, but you know, I could, I could see how that could be a possibility because Mm -hmm. he does put a lot of stuff in there that he comes back to at a later time. So, um, all right. So one last thing we do before the, the end of the episode, we normally do this for when we have creators on for interviews, but I definitely, uh, appreciate you coming on Jake. And I wanted to give the listeners uh, a chance to get to know you just a little bit better. So I thought we would do a firing range with you. Absolutely. The firing range. The first question that we typically ask every single person that comes on for the first time is Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Okay. You can continue staying on the show. Uh, (laughs) um, Favorite Joe or Cobra? Clutch. Okay. My favorite... Yeah. Okay. You can, I mean, you can elaborate. Okay. Yeah. Well, Clutch, he was the first one I got. Okay. And then that, um, what is it? Episode, uh, issue 20. Okay. Yep. 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 Issue 20 really sold me on him. And what's sad now is now that I'm an adult, I see how much of a kind of a, you know, pig he was that you know probably shouldn't have been my favorite as a kid but he he was you know because that vamp was so cool you know and then see favorite cobra sure um man that that's firefly okay that's a great one now this this might be, uh, knowing what, what you said as far as your answer, this might be the same answer for you, but maybe it won't be. Uh, favorite Joe figure? Well, I mean, clutch from the fact that it's of the character. Mm-hmm. But, man, I've been buying some of the newer figures recently. You know, I've been yeah. over the last year or so. And, 
there are just so many figures that I did not give um, even an appropriate thought. Um, I'm, I'm, geez, I, I'll say this. Um, I've recently, I really have grown to love the Mega Marines. Okay. I hate to, you know, I hate to say that, but <laughs> man, there is so much cool stuff sculpted into those figures during that time period. Okay. They just cool. happen to be, you know, neon. Right. <laughs> uh, Autobot or Decepticon? Autobot. Okay. Decepticons uh, are cooler, but yeah, I'm more of an Autobot. You know. Okay. Uh, when it comes to muffins, blueberry or chocolate chip? Blueberry. Okay. Uh, cake or pie? Pecan pie. Okay. <laughs> nice. I'm a, I'm a Texan. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, R2D2 or C3PO? R2D2. Okay. Uh, I'm always, my mind is always boggled when people pick C3PO, but we've had people pick it, which is why that question remains. <laughs> well, the C3PO in the, if you've been reading the Poe Dameron series. Yes. Yes. The fact that he's the spy master. Yeah. Bumped him up like a thousand notches. <laughs> yeah. It's been cool factor, you know? Yeah, for sure. It just, but just the, up until the, he's just been this whiny guy. Right. But then that, you're like, wow, C-3PO's pretty bad in his own right. Yeah, I feel like uh, Soul just decided, you know what, I want to try to make C-3PO really cool, so. <laughs> yeah. And he did a uh, good job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, I'll save that one for last because that one could be interesting. So since we do focus on a lot of comic books on this show, uh, favorite superhero? Um, I have a tattoo of Superman's S-Shield on my shoulder. Okay. Yep. And so okay. Superman, and if I had to go Marvel, it would be Captain America. Okay. So those two are neck and neck, one and two. Nice. Uh, favorite supervillain? Comic book supervillain or just, I mean. You can go, you can answer the question any way you wish. Okay. Um, Vader. Darth okay. Vader. Okay. And to not, but Vader was always cool to me, but, but the tragedy of the character since I've started, since I watched the Clone Wars cartoon series. Okay. Yeah. That's where I like, that's, I didn't like Anakin before then. Yeah. You know, and so oh, it was I like, yeah, whatever. But after right. the Clone Wars, I'm like, holy crap, I care for Anakin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that really fleshed the character out really well, and it really showed that brotherhood between him and Obi-Wan, which I felt like you did not get that feel in the movies, but now watching the Clone Wars, like, you really do feel that brotherhood between the two of them. So now Revenge of the Sith and that battle in Revenge of the Sith has a lot oh, yeah. more meaning. Well, and then the ba and then the the end of season two of Rabbles. I don't in case there's spoilers, you know. Yeah. But the the end of season two, yes. when Vader battles that one particular character. 
yeah. just how heartbreaking that whole scene was. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, the the animation. I'm sad to see Rebels ending because I have really been enjoying it. Uh, and uh, but I'm hoping something else awesome is going to follow it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the controversial question always is: Is Chewbacca a sidekick? No. Okay. Chewbacca is a um, co-pilot and a partner, and um, you know he may not be the lead character, but he's definitely more than a sidekick. Yep, I would I would one hundred percent agree. However, I will always value anyone's opinion that wants to disagree with that, but I will always say that they're wrong. So. Yep. <laughs> well, Jake, it was you awesome. missed the question. Oh, what was that? Duke or Flint? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Which one? Flint. Okay. Again, you can stay on the show. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I was ready for that one. I just started jotting ones down that I thought of, but that, yeah, that's yeah. that's a critical one. Uh, any particular reason of? Uh, you know, I think it's Duke, more Duke overload mm-hmm. in recent years. Okay. I know that. Um, Diana would be very upset with me over that, but <laughs> I, um, I, I, you know, Duke and Flint were kind of the same character in the comic book for a bit. Yeah. You know, they weren't both weren't front and center. Um, but I think that just with the way they did Duke going on, I, it kind of made me gravitate towards Flint being the road scholar and being so much more. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes, yeah, I, I've just, yeah, I've always liked him. And I will say, uh, I've had a conversation years ago with, uh, Diana Davis, which is the Diana you were referring to, who is a huge Joe fan and she is a super huge Duke fan. Um, and I told her, I said, uh, cause I knew who she was. I met her at a Joe con and I said, uh, well, I hate to tell you, but I'm, I'm a Flint fan. And she goes, you know what? That's perfectly all right. She goes, you always need to have your salt and your pepper. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so she did not disparage me in, in any way, shape or form for, uh, having a preference over Flint. And I'm sure she would not do, she would, uh, have no problem with you choosing Flint over Duke as well. Uh, she might have some issues with you saying there's too much Duke recently, but, uh, <laughs> But I kind of agree with you on that. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, any last things that you wanted to mention, Jake, before we close the show? Or Well, I wanted to thank you for letting me on. I hope, hopefully uh, you and John both um, appreciated me being here. Uh, I absolutely am just ecstatic that I was able to do it. Uh, hopefully I didn't walk over anybody's conversation too much. No. Tried not to interrupt. Um, but you know, I, I just, I tend to just open my mouth and let it go. Um, please, please, you, want- I think you, you, you're, you, you should be really excited because you're the guest on the last episode of Star Joe's. Yeah. Um, but thank y'all much. I appreciate hearing, you know, and just to tell y'all that, um, I love hearing about the cons that y'all go to. I'm not probably ever going to make Baltimore con considering how far away it is for me, but 
you know, maybe I'll make JoeCon this last time. And I look forward to meeting y'all then. Um, and I love hearing about that stuff. Um, I love hearing about all the different comics that y'all have been discussing. Um, the, you know, the, the old, uh, uh, Star Wars legends stuff. Um, you know, and how I love how pieces of that are being drawn into things like Rebels. Yeah. You know, and, just, I can't wait till y'all talk about the Micronauts again. I want to yeah. hear more about the body banks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, where they're storing people. Yeah. I'm just like, man, that is a wicked concept. <laughs> you know. Oh, we'll, we'll definitely be getting in, into that. Uh, now, Jake, you were a, an amazing uh, guest to come on. Uh, I do encourage any listeners out there, if, if you ever want to come on, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, when, it, when I can, I will make it work. Um, and, uh, you know, it's always fun to have listeners on that enjoy the show and enjoy this stuff and love talking about it. You did a fantastic job, so you did not step on anyone's toes any more than we normally do with each other anyways. Um, and I would certainly be happy to have you on again in the future, uh, for, for, uh, doing some of these comic talks and everything else. So Uh, anytime, let's let me know. Yep. We'll do. Um, John, any last things you wanted to throw out there before we close up? No, great to have you, Jake, and uh, onward, ever upward. Awesome. Well, John, how can they find you? Well, you want? Oh, you say Jake or John? John. You want to get find out how to get hold of Jake first? Sure. Yeah, Jake. How I, can they find you? <laughs> well, um, primarily through Facebook. Uh, mm-hmm. My full name is. I don't know what that was. My full name is William Jacob Witherspoon. You know, so sometimes you'll see William Witherspoon. Sometimes you'll see Jake Witherspoon. But if you search either one of them, you should be able to find me on Facebook. Cool. And then, John, how can they find you? Sure. You can find me, John Thurman, on Facebook, John underscore Thurman on Twitter, I do want to give a real quick uh, plug for another show. Many of you know I'm, I enjoy doing that, and it's actually our good friends over at uh, What's on Joe Mind. They recently put out a special edition episode uh, about a well, so like October 11, October 10, somewhere around there. It's uh, episode 53, I think, special episode 53. But it's an interview with Daryl Houston, who was the uh, storyboard artist and uh, did a lot on on the old cartoon, not on just on G.I. Joe, but a lot of other cartoons. He's also the guy that storyboarded the original opening of the movie, as well as worked on the Community G.I. Jeff episode. It's nice. a really great hour. He's a really interesting guy. He's got really cool stories, and uh, it's just Mike and Justin, and, and guys, kudos. I, I think I told him on you know social media they did a great job. But it's definitely worth checking out. Mm. I didn't cool. do our stuff, but yeah. So it's ep- special edition fifty three of what's on your mind. The interview with Larry Houston. Very cool. I will have to check that out. I, I heard that interview. It was fabulous. Awesome. And um, the the full force, you know, which came out of what's on Joe mind are now separate on their own. They've been doing some great interviews with. And animation related folks and design related folks. And so, you know, 
kind of related to what's on Joe Mind, you need to ch- you know check out the full force as well for some great interviews. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, well, let me uh, give a shout out to our sponsors here. Uh, so uh, we do have the the Patreon out there, uh, which uh, you can get extra content, Star Joe's content for as low as three dollars a month. Uh, I have, I believe it's. There's four episodes out so far. Uh, there'll be a fifth one coming out very, very soon. Um, and all the content, not only the Patreon episodes, but also the YouTube videos and regular Star Joe's episodes can all be found if you're a member on there. Uh, but I wanted to give a shout out to, uh, Jonathan Morgantini, who, uh, is at the sponsorship, does the sponsorship level. I know he, last I heard he's still looking for a couple people to participate in his G.I. Joe role playing. Uh, he hasn't told me differently, so again, if, until he tells me differently, I will assume he's still looking for a couple people. Um, Matt Anderson, who just, I just, I'll just keep mentioning his name until he tells me he has something he wants me to sponsor for him. Uh, and then last but certainly not least is Ben, uh, P- uh, Penserga. And Ben actually has a podcast that he just started a couple months ago and wanted to make sure that I gave a shout out for that for him. Uh, and you guys know, I only, uh, anytime I'm going to do a shout out for a podcast, I make sure I listen to the show. I want to make sure that it's something that you guys would want to hear. You guys would want to check out. Um, he does a podcast that's called, I have it, had it up here a second ago. There we go. Uh, It's called movies and a meal. And like I say, he just started a couple months ago. And, uh, what he, they do, it's him and, uh, it's Ben and his buddy Keith who watch a lot of movies. <laughs> uh, and what they do is they're not very long episodes. Uh, I think the longest I saw was like 36 minutes. Most of them are like 13, uh, to 20 minutes, somewhere in that range. Uh, but they, they talk about, they've, they talk about current movies. They have gone back and done uh, past movies. So they did an episode on Remember the Titans. Uh, but they'll, like I said, they'll kind of talk about uh, several movies in one episode a lot of times. Uh, and they are doing exactly what it's called, which is movies and a meal. So they're usually having a meal when they're going to be talking about a movie. So I heard one where they were waiting for their pizza to be cooked in the oven while they're talking about a movie. There was another time they were at, uh, they had just gone to see a movie and they were at, um, uh, a, I believe it was a Sonic that they were at, uh, after they had just seen a movie. So, uh, definitely check them out. Uh, and I will tell you, he told me that they are not on iTunes. They are actually on, uh, this, um, this iPhone app called Bumpers, and you don't have to be have an iPhone in order to access this. Uh, I will have the website up uh, in the show notes for this episode, but it's uh, I'll say it on the episode as well. It's Bumpers.fm/u/moviesandameal. So, like I said, Bumpers.f is in Frank, M is in Mary, slash U as in umbrella, slash movies and a meal. If you go to that website, you can actually play the episodes right from that website. Uh, like I said, they're, they're not long like our episodes tend to be, uh, but they are entertaining. Definitely check them out. Uh, you know, 
Ben, if you're out there and you want any help with getting more exposure for your show, if you want to see about getting it on iTunes and things like that, I'd be happy to help you out in any way that I can. But like I said, they're, they're worth checking out. They just started the last couple months and he was like, yeah, I'd appreciate it if you could give a shout out. And I said, well, let me make sure I check out a few of the episodes so I can actually talk knowledgeably about what, what you guys do. And I can definitely say I enjoyed listening to them. They, they know their movies, uh, and they know that they know what they're talking about when, they have a conversation with each other and you can tell they're friends. So, which is always good because then you have good chemistry with each other. Um, as far as our show goes, you can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher radio, the Podbean app, probably about a thousand other places that I just put our feet out there for. Um, you can email us at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. Don't let Jason Adams be the only one that sends us emails. Although, Jason, I still want you to keep sending us emails because they're always entertaining. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail. We haven't had one in a while. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-J-O-E-S. You can find our phone number as well as our email address at our website. We're also on Twitter. It's at Star Joe's Podcast. We're on Facebook. There's a fan page and a group page. The fan page pretty much updates you on when new episodes are coming out. And the group page is just a community, and the second you request to be part of the community, I will approve it. Uh, we have a lot of fun on there talking about whatever geeky comes up. Uh, it's not always stuff that's related to the show. Um, and uh, we have an absolute blast. <clears throat> we have an absolute blast, and I thank everyone who participates on there, posting stuff, commenting on stuff. It, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you can follow stuff that I'm reading as far as comics go on Instagram. Just look for Star Joe's on Instagram, and you should find it. Um, and YouTube. Uh, I've been doing YouTube videos a little bit more regularly, and I've uh, been kind of keeping up with it at least once a week. By the time this episode comes out, there'll be another episode out, uh, which is um, it's the last time I'm going to talk about the Aubrey Sitterson situation, I did want to do a follow-up video and promised YouTube listeners that I would do a follow-up video. So I have that coming out uh, right before this this episode came out. Uh, just talking about some of the things that happened after my initial video came out in regards to that uh, and some of the, the backlash that happened and everything else. So, And I just wanted to address some of those things. And then I never want to talk about it again because uh, I don't want to give any more attention to that. Uh, but I've been having a lot of fun with the YouTube stuff and I appreciate everyone that's been checking it out and sharing it and everything. So, uh, please leave us an iTunes review and I think that is everything. Oh, we do have Star Joe's merchandise, t-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, all that fun stuff. You can find it all at starjoes.com. There's a link where it says merchandise. With that, we'll go ahead and close the episode by saying the force will be with you because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone. Thank you.